Production. Recorded live. 1969, that's where you're talking from. Afraid so. But you're replying to me. You can't know exactly what I'm going to say 40 years before I say it. 38? I'm getting this down. I'm writing in your bits. How? How is this possible? Tell me. Not so fast. Uh, people can understand time. It's not what you think it is. Then what is it? Complicated. Tell me. Very complicated. I'm clever and I'm listening. And don't patronise me because people have died and I'm not happy. Tell me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Yeah, I've seen this bit before. You said that sentence got away from you. It got away from me, yeah. Next thing you're going to say is, well, I can hear you. Well, I can hear you. This is impossible. No, it's brilliant. Live from a focus group meeting immediately after the broadcast of the episode Blink, where a surprising 99.5% of male respondents have checked the box next to the reply. Well, actually, there is precedent for the doctor having two female companions at one time. Sally's way smarter than Tegan or Nyssa, and I'm not saying she should be put on board the TARDIS permanently, just because some observers have noted her physical attractiveness. Frankly, I'm morally offended that the BBC on this form could include such other options as she's hot, she's got cute dimples, and oh yes, I'll have a bit of that sparrow bird. There's a clear and inviolable no-hanky-panky rule on board the TARDIS, as any discerning fan of the 40-year history of Doctor Who will readily attest. And furthermore... It's Doctor Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 84. And today's episode, we're reviewing Blink. We're live on the net. And joining me is uh, Ken Deep, our um, regular co-host or cohort in crime. (laughs) What's going on, everybody? Hello. And also with us, our regular um, Canadian correspondent and contributor, uh, Mike Duran. Hello, Mike. Hey, let's say everybody. Good to have you back on board. And uh, none other than Taras Natitian is also with us, a regular contributor and friend of Doctor Who Pachak. Hello, Taras. Hello, all. How are you doing, Lewis? Good, good. A little wired and wily, but I'm good. <laughs> and uh, none other than Mr. Darth himself, or should I say Mr. Skeptical himself, Darth Skeptical. Hello, Darth. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, so, Darth, how does it feel to be, like, on the show and not in the middle of the morning with, like, zero hours of sleep and, you know, and jugging down load, tons of coffee just to get through the show? I, I don't know. I've sort of intravenously uh, injected myself with coffee because, oddly, 
this is the one week where it didn't help for this thing to be later. Oh. And two hours of sleep. I know, I know. I was so hoping that work kept me up. Well, we're, let's, we're going to have to do away with work. And, um, you know, podcast first. Okay, so I don't know. It's, it's sort of breaking up for me, the audio there. I hope um, that sorts itself out. And we do apologize. We have an ongoing apology for the audio quality of these live recordings until they improve. We're kind of um, limited to the quality that, that we can get using the TalkShoe uh, um, technology. And, um, and hopefully in time, this will be improving. But it allows us all to do this live show. So, Blink. Um, I, I have to say that I'm very... Um, Impressed with Blink, I, it was, you know, it's one of these episodes that could have gone either way because um, it's the Dr. Light story or, you know, well, I guess Dr. Light pretty much sums it up where uh, the, the, the doctor and the, whoever the companion is at the time, this time Martha and, or um, Adger Freeman, Freem, um, Freem Adgerman, <laughs> for some reason I'm transposing her name frequently recently. Uh, had very little to do in this story, but I felt their presence was there throughout the whole entire story, and some clever devices. Um, thank, hats off to Stephen Moffat, who came through once again, made made you feel that they were there throughout the whole entire story, and um, the characters that we did get to know seemed uh, likable and. I, they didn't wear a minor of that lease, and um, though I mean, they could have. There was only so much you could do with those characters, um, but to the extent that we got to them, um, they were fine. I felt, and um, because this story had a lot to tell, and it had a lot of different timelines in a sense, and it didn't tell the story chronologically in a traditional way, and for that, I really enjoyed it. So. What did everyone else think about it? Um, Ken, did you have a chance to see it? Yes, I did. Great. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised, and as um, Lewis and I discussed last night, this was one of those episodes where I said it, it can go one of two ways. It can go into uh, into the disappointment that I felt uh, after Love and Monsters last year, or this could just be one of those, well, there it goes, let's move on to the building towards the uh, the season finale. But it, this really surprised. I, I forgot, actually, that it, this was Stephen Moffat's story. And when I saw his name come up, I was instantly reassured that <laughs> this was going to be going the right direction. I had to bite my tongue because I had already seen it by that time, and you hadn't. And uh, you're like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I, you know, however this goes, it could, you know, I'm not that concerned. And, um, <laughs> and, and you were sounding a bit pessimistic about it. And, and I was like, oh, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. No, I, I really liked this. I, I enjoyed it. I thought that this would be a great story to show someone who perhaps is not familiar with the series where there's a, an element of uh, suspense and thriller going on. You don't really have to know too much about the Doctor to know that he's just a time traveler stuck in 1969. And um, so it's, a, it's an actually it's an interesting introduction. Um, if you had someone who 
wasn't really familiar with Doctor Who, but you showed them this, I think they could get hooked on the series with a, mm-hmm. an episode like this. Because it blends a little of the classic gothic horror that we had seen in, in uh, some of the Tom Baker years and then the time travel element that is, uh, of course, the, the staple of, of all good Doctor Who. And uh, I, thought, I agree with you, Lewis. I thought the characters were interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do like the non-linear storytelling. In a, in a fact, I mean, it's linear to the fact that the main it's linear for the main character that we're following, and uh, mm-hmm. but the other characters sort of are telling they are intertwining in her story in different ways and different timelines, and um, you know, so I really enjoy that aspect of it, and um, and you could probably nitpick, and 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 I didn't even bother trying to see if there were holes and gaps that needed to be filled because I didn't you know the story I think kind of carried you from point A to B to C to without that interrupting anything and and um, I thought it was enjoyable enough that didn't really need to overanalyze it too much yeah if if I if I had a a nitpick about the story which just simply be that anybody who got stuck in another time uh, would be doling out the lottery numbers and the World Series winners and the Super Bowl winners, and they'd be making a killing in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, that, that's what I would do. That would be the first thing i do is, oh, great, I'm stuck in 1949. Well, let's let's go bet on some baseball games. <laughs> well, I, I guess if you've followed sports, then... Uh, or you could bet on the presidential winner. There you go. <laughs> or the, the next prime minister... Yeah, or it has to deal with all the bookies that are upset with you winning oh. all the money. Okay, better than that, then I'll invest yeah. in Apple <laughs> in like nineteen seventy what five. Yeah, invest at the right times. You know your IBM's, your Apples, and um, Microsofts, of course. So your Halliburtons. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so, uh, so I that was if that's the only that's really my only nitpick on on the story on a story like this. Uh, is that uh, human temptation would take over? But beyond that, I, I understand it's you know it's just a simple forty-five minutes time travel story. You got a lot to get in, and you have to move the plot along. And um, I thought Stephen Moffat's use of of the aliens was brilliant, and the the Easter eggs were brilliant. And I mean, it taps right into everything that we're all about as as you know sci-fi geeks. Well, Ken, once again, I know you made a point of saying this um, with the last two episodes, is that here we have another thrilling adventure, and there's, like, no CGI aliens. Everything, I mean, um, it, it's all just human storytelling, and um, and I think it did a wonderful job doing that. It, I was even watching the Confidential. I was even surprised that there were those angels ha- actually were um, people in there. I, I just thought, they, you know, they molded stat- statues in different poses, and I didn't actually realize there were actually people in there. And, yeah. Um, uh, well, like, I, you, you, made, you hit the nail right on the head. Once again, it wasn't an oversized, giant-clawed, green-scaled monster that goes, you know, that, that's about 40 feet tall that's trying to stuff itself down a hallway. I just, uh, I, I really just, that... That whole rancor monster thing just doesn't do it for me anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think they've had four weeks in a row now since that CGI monster of uh, of great, relatively inexpensive, much scarier monsters from 42 right through blank. Well, you hit it right on the head. These are far more far more frightening than just a you know a giant you know claw claw crab thing you know. 
And they're using statues. This is something that we see in our everyday life. And um, I know this got this was off the scale on the Fear Factor, um, which I believe is geared towards children. How they rate how frightening any particular episode is, and uh, I think it rated a five point five out of five. And uh, <laughs> so I it's, on it's the just, on the Mary Whitehouse scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, it just shows that you could um, sometimes the most scary things are the things that are most familiar, or, or you know they could be the most scary things. So, um, Mike, since you chimed in before, how was what was your initial take on this? Uh, I thought it was terrific. It's uh, it's not like we would expect any less from Stephen Moffat, who's you know proven performer uh, on the show, and in fact everything else Stephen Moffat has ever written. Uh, it was great. It was terrifying. Uh, I think terrifying on different levels for all ages. Uh, I'm glad that uh, I held off and waited till it was dark last night to watch it. Didn't watch it uh, in daylight, wait for the sun to go down, uh, <laughs> which made a good difference. And I think this is an episode ma- made to be watched in the dark. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. I watched it in the dark myself as well. Yeah, so uh, absolute, another absolutely terrific episode. Good use, of, I think, of the... Uh, of, of of the basic format of being given a story where you've got the the doctor for you know one shooting day or something like that, while keeping him uh, keeping him present and and once again it's third week in a row that I'm saying this but uh, the doctor is almost greater by his absence than his presence once again, uh, and mm-hmm. yet another episode which I think uh, kind of shows us how the format of Doctor Who. Uh, is is bigger than uh, than the doctor himself. Be interesting someday if they did an episode, a doctor light episode, or a, a complete non doctor episode, and and see if they can continue that. I think they might be able to. Well, going. I with, still uh, think, I still think they can do like a mission to the unknown type of story where they could where they could build to another build the story up, and then the doctor comes in at the end of the episode and leads into the next thing, but to the yeah. next episode and have like a two parter or a three parter or something like that where. Uh, where you could do that. Well, if you look yeah. even with with an episode like Mission to the Unknown, and unfortunately it's only available as an audio uh, these days because it's missing. But when you listen back to that now, it's uh, it, you, you know there's a there's a level to the writing and to the caliber of the show that that continues even though it's missing the Doctor. And even in the early days with William Hartnell. And, uh, and some of the regulars, because of the shooting schedule, having to bow out for a week, and they have to be written out of the show, and characters split off and things. I think that happened uh, for the first time, I think, in Keys of Marinus, and, and probably a few yeah. times after that. Um, the show was strong enough to, to I think, it was, be- it was just said that it was, um, the format is strong enough to yeah. be doctorless type of show that we're dealing with. Yeah, I think the writers have shown they have the strength to do it. I'm not saying that that in any way would have made this episode better. The episode, oh. I thought, uh, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I have, certainly have the confidence. They've done, done it twice, in my opinion, very well now. And, uh, you know, who knows what we'll see next time. Uh, sorry, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Uh, again, last night, uh, absolutely terrific. Uh, once again, the 8, 9, 10 slot, third year in a row, does not disappoint me. That's the, <laughs> two the, for you. the rock solid part of the three for three. Well, three for yeah, three. In a way, three years in a row, eight, nine, ten, I think probably so the strongest I, part of the series. I, I don't consider Boomtown to be really a Dr. Light story since the Doctor really, I mean, to my oh. recollection, was 
pretty much in that episode. True, but well, no, it, that, was, it was it was a story between massive stories. Oh, that's episode eleven. Yeah, so I mean, the, uh, the first the two thousand and five series didn't really have a Doctor Light episode. No, no I'm just saying that the eight nine ten slot for me has has been a strong one. I got. It. I would each year. It's been my favorite episodes every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boomtown is kind of a Dr. Light episode, though, because if you look at the number of lines that the Doctor has, it's not that much um, because of the uh, sort of heavy companion uh, load in that episode. And the, yeah, I, and the characterization of, of, uh, of the, uh, the bad guy in that episode. I mean, there's, a, there's right. minutes that go by early in that episode where it's, you know, it's just this, this dialogue uh, going on with what's going to happen, the setup. Yeah, I figured yeah. if there was a Dr. Light episode of the 2005 series, that would be the one, you know, where it seemed like, um, even though the Doctor's in it throughout the whole episode, he, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't, it wasn't that heavy on his shoulders. A lot of the other characters um, played a bigger part in it. So, um, I'm sort of going backwards up the list this time. So, Taras, um, what was your initial take on Blink? This was a fantastic episode. If I didn't know that this was the so-called Dr. Light episode, I wouldn't have noticed from watching it just because the story was so engaging that it just grabbed you at the beginning and then it didn't let you go until it was over. Mm -hmm. It certainly did. All right, well... Um, Mr. Darth? Oh, yeah. This is an unreservedly fantastic episode. Um, I loved the the whole basis of the story being entirely about time travel. I love that kind of Doctor Who. And it confirms what's been going on the whole season long, because we've had a lot more of that this season than maybe in past seasons. Um, and, you know, big hats off to our first female director of the new series, she did a fantastic job, I thought. was very much more impressed by her debut in the series than I was by Charles Palmer's at the beginning of the series. Although, since then, of course, Charles Palmer has steadily improved to where you can't really find a directorial fault, I don't think, with uh, human nature. But Hedy McDonald, I hope she comes back, loved the way that this thing was directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice lighting as well, and it really captured the feel of, of, the, you know, of, of the story. There you go. So um, I, I see a lot of our listeners are lined up in the queue, so I just want to remind those that are listening using the TalkShoe client that there's a queue button in the upper right-hand corner of the interface, and if you want to uh, participate in the show, just enter yourself into the queue, and, and we'll get to you. So um, let's see. Um, shall we start taking people? or? Um, Yes, do it. Sure. Let's start taking people. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. First one up is uh, Lonely Angel 10. Hi. Hello. Hi, Lewis. Hi, uh, Mike. And who else is in uh, the studio with you guys? Darth Skeptical and Ken. Yeah, I'm seeing it on the, the um, in the chat room. Yeah, Ken, Ken just shows up as Hi, Darth. Yeah, because I'm at work. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, well, as far as the episode goes, I thought it was uh, really good this week. Um, a lot better than Love and Monsters from last season. Um, 
I was hoping that it wasn't going to be like that. So it was a surprise that it was original and um, that it held up on its own. Yeah, Love and Monsters is one of those episodes where either you love it or you hate it. <laughs> and well, I, um, I, I've been, I, I, mean, I watched it the other day, and I'm sort of liking it a little better now, but initially I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. It just doesn't, I mean, that whole idea that you guys were talking about in the beginning, that if I had just seen that as a first Doctor Who episode, I probably wouldn't have been hooked on the series for Love mm-hmm. and Monsters. Um, but if I saw last night's episode, I probably would watch again. So it was good that they sort of improved that whole idea of the Doctor not being in the uh, episode. By, yeah, uh, I think Stephen, Stephen Moffat really took a, a, a different angle, and I realized that he was, a, um, this is a, was based on a story that he's written for a Doctor Who annual. Um, I can't recall the title of it. I know it has something to do with Christmas. And um, Anyway, it, it's it's loosely based on that. And um, Sally Sparrow, the, the main character, is younger, and they, they you know added a few more years to her for this episode. But um, I, I haven't read that, so I can't really make any contrast and comparisons to the two stories and how differ, you know, different they are. Right. If, if anyone else has, please chime in. So, um, so, so overall, it's Angel, really you, good. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to the rest of the end of the season. I mean, just to have this episode that really didn't uh, go, you know, that was sort of, um, like, what, what are you calling it, Dr. Light? Yeah. Something where he's just not in the episode as much mm-hmm. sort of, uh, to fill up before the next episode. Is that the way it works? Well, well, what because the production team does is since they don't have the time in the shooting schedule to do the number of stories they have with the Christmas special and to fit it within uh, the time constraints that they have, they kind of have a second unit that does one of the stories while the first unit is working with the primary actors on another story. And this way... So the, another you know, one and uh, David are not in that second story as much as they are in the one that they're currently working on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, well does so that like mean, because that's why I was questioning about Father's Day, because I thought that maybe that one from 2005 could have been that light episode, because... Um, well, 2005 didn't have a Christmas special filmed with it, so was, they didn't have that... Uh, pressing need to to squeeze in an extra 60 minutes of screen time in that scheduled time period that right. they set aside for producing the show. Hmm. Uh, Lonely Angel, if you could just remind listeners uh, where you're calling from. Oh, sorry. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York, and um, okay. I wanted to know if I could plug something. Ooh. <laughs> I have it. <laughs> yes, have a- please do. I actually have a Doctor Who MySpace page, mm-hmm. and I just set it up for my own interest, but I sort of wanted to just put, like, some updates with the show premiering on Sci-Fi. So sure. Would I, would I let us, ev- yeah, let everyone know what's the address. Um, it should be uh, www.myspace.com backslash uh, CW uh, Series 3 USA. I think okay. that's what the uh, the address is. I know uh, Ken handles out. Be, um, I'm just not on my page. Um, Are you a friend of Ken? If they, I'm hooked up on a few of them. Uh, some people have me on, so that's really what. It is. 
Lonely Angel, I think it's your homepage on podcasts. The podcast uh, forum website, when you click on your name, it's the one that you've got set oh, up. Oh, did homepage. I do that? I didn't even remember setting that up on yeah. there. Yeah, so I guess if, I, if, if it's not there, then I'll add it to the, uh, to the profile. And a quick reminder for anybody who's listening that's, uh, that may be a, a MySpace user, Doctor Who Podshock, of course, has a MySpace page, so uh, do a quick search for us, and you can always add us as a friend. And, oh, and yeah. I'm up to uh, the Podshock MySpace page also. Woohoo! Right. That's all can for maintaining <laughs> the MySpace page. I make sure I get page. all the news uh, really quickly so we're all connected. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I also wanted my, a... Um, shameless oh. plug there. A quick uh, quick reminder and a shameless plug of our own as well. That yeah, don't forget for the uh, Podshock has a Podshock store available for things like T-shirts and sweatshirts and other swag. There's I, I, a, I was just going to say swag. Yes, a USA <laughs> store and a UK store. So whether you want to pay dollars or pounds, that's up to you. Um, and you know, it's just a just a friendly reminder. It's always there, of course, at www.californiaembassy.org or podshock.net, and it's a a way of supporting the show and showing everyone that uh, everyone in the world that you are a Doctor Who fan and a Podshock listener. Not you, to mention, they're just damn sexy. Well, since we're um, <laughs> yes, they they are, um, and since we're plugging away, I want to um, just. Uh, let you know you can plug into our show using a new widget designed by um, Time Flight, who had designed a new um, widget for Mac OS X. It's uh, 10.4.3. And uh, I know that uh, other platforms have, um, I know Confabulator from Yahoo has these similar de- um, widgets, if it's the best word to use for them. But I know Vista uses gadgets and um, but you know, this is a widget for the Mac OS, and um, if anyone else out there wants to design one for these other platforms, uh, feel free to do so. But it's great. You can listen to our uh, podcast using this widget. Um, there's a little I button on it. You can click and get more information on it. And we just wanted to thank Time Flight for um, doing this unsolicited. So thank you so much. So okay. we're going to thank wanted- you so much, Lonely Angel. If you, yeah, uh, I just want- Opinion. It was it, for me. It was a four out of five episode, and oh, I'm yes. looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to a Utopia. So uh, that's all yeah. for me. Today. Cool. All right. And I so, thought we were going to have a commercial-free episode. Oh, sorry about <laughs> that. <laughs> Maybe next time. Perhaps would you like to plug something? Uh, not at this time. Okay. If we start sinking, you can plug in the the bow of the boat. <laughs> Well, I think I'm just going to um, I'm going to hang up now, but I'm going to be on chat for a while until this ends. But uh, good work, guys. Cool. Thank Thanks. you so much, Lonely Angel. Right. Thank you. And Lewis, we get a lot of people uh, in the queue, so let's let's keep it moving at a, at a high at a high rate today. Let's get a lot of people on. We're rolling. We're rolling. Okay. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Next up is West in Florida. Hello, West. Hello, everyone. Greetings and salutations. How are y'all doing this evening? Well, actually, we all know how you're doing because we've been listening for the last several long, so we know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm still in running mode. I ran here as quickly as possible to get on get the show on the road, and I'm I'm still all, you know, in that train of thought. So uh, found, I'll let you found, speak and I'll shut up. What did you think of Flint? I thought it was incredible. I mean, I guess you can't say incredible enough about this series, but you know, it's you know three weeks in a row with 
you know, I'll just go ahead and say it, five-star episodes, it's nice. <laughs> I can't wait for the rest of the series, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, you know, the use of lighting in this was just phenomenal. Uh, the director was just very cinematic with the camera angles and um, the angels. They were just, you know, I'm surprised there's children that can flee tonight, you know. <laughs> well, um, maybe they can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I may have nightmares myself, but um, I thought it was very well executed. And, you know, you could feel the presence of the doctor all the way through it, even though they didn't show him the whole time. So, I, you know, I feel like he it wasn't that he wasn't there. It's just that he wasn't seen. That's about it. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, it's the incredible use of DVD technology. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. You know, Easter eggs have been around since, you know, since the beginning of DVDs and it's great that um, it's it's a great tool to utilize to um, to make the doctor present when he's not, and I think they did a great job with that. I, I love the way how he carried out the conversation, you know, and how that all worked out and played out. Right, and uh, you know, the only thing that would have made it better was uh, for the cast eleven monsters to have gotten sent back in time to die slowly over decades. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well. Yeah, that, you know, the, the thing with Love and Monsters is that um, what I really, I have to say what I really enjoy about Love and Monsters is that it does have so many people that, 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 that love it. And if it, if everyone just hated that episode, I think it would have been a big failure of the series and, you know, and it would have been a waste of an episode. But at least now, you know, even if you didn't like it, you may think it's a waste of your time, but it's not a waste of an episode because there are many people that really, you know, enjoyed the episode. So um, hats off, um, you know, to Russell T. Davies and, um, you know, and everyone involved, you know, in that, creating that episode. Right. I mean, I actually enjoyed that one, but um, as far as last night's episode is concerned, I just, I've, I've watched it three times already today. and I've, I've made two people watch it with me, so <laughs> you they were them. like, no, I was like, you know, <laughs> you know, you've never seen Doctor Who, and I'm thinking this is the, actually the best episode to show someone who's never seen the series, because it's not so Doctor-centric that, it, you know, it might get thrown off by the technical babble at the start, and you can kind of wean them into it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm... Now they're like, well, what's classic who like? And I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to show them. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking five doctors, but that might get confusing for someone who didn't really know the whole mythos. Well, so if someone just saw uh, Blink as an example, I mean, some of that, the uh, the Talons of Wang Chiang or some of those those early like horror-ish episodes, it, it, it has the same vibe to it, that, that dark vibe is still right. there. Pretty much anything from the Hinchcliffe era would probably be perfect. I know, I'll show them Horror of Fang Rock. That's a good, straightforward murder mystery with a blob. <laughs> with a blob. <laughs> with a piece of saran wrap that glows. You got all the best qualities. And Tom. Well, well, I guess well, it's, it's... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I, I wasn't... I just wanted, before you left us, I just wanted to uh, thank you once again for having both myself and Ken on, on your podcast last week where we discussed um, the ins and outs of Blake 7, and it was an enjoyable podcast to do. Yeah, that was great fun. Right, um, and just to let you know, we've we've had almost 400 downloads off that one episode this week, so we got cool. quite a few people listening to us now. <laughs> once again, to remind everyone, that's the CIA podcast, and that's also found on the Talk Shoe, um family of podcasts. If you go to TalkShoe.com, you can download and listen live to that. 
and it'll be right after this episode. And I apologize to everyone for rescheduling at the last minute. And I just thought, you know what, it might be better to piggyback off of this one like we normally do. And, oh, so and, you're time uh, traveling as well. Yes, I am. <laughs> and and t- tonight we're going to be discussing um, what, why certain TV series, sci-fi series, survived television and why certain ones didn't when some of them are obviously a lot better than the ones that stayed on. So mm. hopefully that will get a lively discussion going. Yeah. And um, our link to that, if anybody is interested, just to shamelessly plug, it's um, www.ciashock.automatic.com. Okay, cool. Well, this is definitely a plug episode. Uh, yep. We should have called this episode Plug, not Blink. But that's <laughs> always, <laughs> maybe it's always, uh, we can always reserve that title. Don't blink or you'll get the plugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Wes. All right, well, thank you all for being there last week, and I uh, hope you'll come back sometime soon. Yes, we will. All, all right. right. Well, Ken, Ken's at work, so I can't speak for him. <laughs> yeah, I will. All right. <laughs> awesome. All right. Cheers. Bye. We're going to go to our next caller, which is the Sixth Doctor. Hello, Sixth Doctor. Hello. Hi. Um, who are you, you once again? Yeah, uh, we can hey. hear you. Uh, I'm the sixth doctor on the forums, and I'm Ian Bissett. Ah, Ian! It's good to have you on our live show. It's good to be here. I've been trying for a while and finally made it here. Uh, uh, thanks to careful prodding by Diane. <laughs> well, we're going to have to thank Diane as well. Yes. Actually, she lives up the road from me, so that's uh, so. there's another hook up there thanks to Podshock. Ah. Yeah. Uh, where are you calling from again, just to remind everyone? I am in Port Charlotte in Florida, in the okay. United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you no, blink? Is, I, <laughs> no, but I'm trying to breathe. I'm I'm rather <laughs> nervous. I used to do Don't radio, and I do stage performances, and I am so nervous right now. <laughs> we're, we're all friends here. Just, we're, we're all hanging out, chomping up peanuts at a bar, drinking a tall, cool one. Excellent. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Um, I loved the episode. Um, actually, I should get my wife in here because she can tell you how I wouldn't stop going on about it after it was over. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't on the last two weeks on Podshock because I would have called them the best episodes ever. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to have to call this one the best. I loved it from beginning to end. Um I, Doctor Who can go on forever and ever as long as Stephen Moffat does at least one story a season. <laughs> and, uh, every, every story he's done is just, you know, I, I just love them. Uh, my favorite from last season was The Girl in the Fireplace. Um, I've watched that probably about at least ten times with and without mm-hmm. commentary. Um, and I was looking forward to this one because I'm like, it's Stephen Moffat. You know, is there going to be bananas and is there going to be dancing? Uh <laughs> No, there were eggs, though. Uh, the, the whole chicken and the egg thing, that, well, I, thought, I found that rather funny. Um, you know, the... the uh, oh, I've forgotten the word now. I've frozen up. Uh, but, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, and the doctor was sitting there talking about his wibbly-wobbly time thing um, <laughs> and how it would do terrible things to eggs and chickens. Um, and so that was a nice little slip in there, I thought. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that my wife said at the end of the episode was, 
was it my imagination or was that a really short episode? Um, and I don't think it was any shorter than any other episode, but I think because it engaged you so well mm-hmm. and just pulled it you right along. into the story and made you think, yeah. um, it just it just it flew by. Uh, it was I, I loved it, and you didn't really miss the Doctor. You know, yeah, he, he was, didn't. He was there throughout, um, popping in and out, and I, I, I loved the very, very beginning, the opening of the episode, because everything written on that wall, you could just imagine David Tennant saying, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello, Sally Sparrow, duck. No, I mean it, <laughs> duck. <laughs> um, but, and the monsters, the, the statues in it were, were great. I, I remember listening to one of the um, the commentaries for uh, Girl in the Fireplace, where he went on about how you know um, he thinks Doctor Who should be scary, and he tries to push the limit of you know how scary it is, and for a monster that you never saw actually move, it it scared the the last sequence, and it scared the bejesus out of me. Um, my son still hasn't seen it yet. Um, my wife is not quite sure whether he's going to be allowed to. Uh, well, I think do you have any I, angel statues in your, on your property or around you? <laughs> Maybe you want to no, check that out first. <laughs> there, there is a cardboard cutout of me staring out the window, but that's about it. <laughs> I'll, like, I won't go into that. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, but if you want to plug something, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, it's just from my acting days. I got flattened by a picture, and so they made a flat version of me so that when the lights came back up, they oh. lifted this flat me off the off the stage, and so they let me keep the flat version of me. <laughs> <laughs> well. But I, uh, we can't go over five TARDIS groans, can we? Well, they did a fear factor of five point five of five. So exactly, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with a six. Oh, wow. um, this is this is gonna be one of those ones that, like the girl in the fireplace, I'm gonna watch over and over again. Even though you know the outcome at the end, uh, I I just I loved it. Um, as I said to Diane before I came on, I'm like I'm just gonna gush until they uh, bring the hook out and drag me off the stage. Uh, I, I really did enjoy it, and and I'm all set for the the big finale. You know, the the final three episodes. Yeah, uh, I can't believe we're there I, already. Yeah, it's, 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 it's long by. Yeah, the the first part of the season has has gone quite slowly. I thought up until this point, up until you know the two parter, and then mm-hmm. it started to pick up a little bit of pace. And and this one, even though it's quite separate from anything else that's going on, I think it it really. It really pulled it up, and I think there's there's probably a reason for that. It's a build now. Um, I think it was probably stuck in for that reason that it, they're they're building up to something quite monumental, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to uh, pass on your thoughts about to Stephen Moffat that he not, must be uh, contracted onto um, doing one story per episode. Oh yeah, I I don't want to see him write all the episodes. I don't want him to see to see him become. Um, the producer or Someone in our forum suggested that, you know, if Russell T. Davies leaves that since he has producing experience. Um, I think we'd just end up tapping the man dry, though. I'd rather <laughs> eke out his talent over, uh, you know, like 10 years rather than, <laughs> you know, burning him out in two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, I suppose I better duck out and let some other people uh, say their piece. <laughs> Thank you once again. Um, yeah, before the hook comes out, of course. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Ken is prodding me for the hook uh, just to get the show rolling, that's all. Yes. Thank well, you, thank to you Ken, for staying silent. <laughs> you know, uh, Ian brings up an interesting point that I wonder if we can stop on for just a moment, sure. in which sure. he says um, that maybe the uh, episode is not connected to the rest of the season, but I wonder if that's going to be true. Because if you've got these DVDs out there that have this extra, I wonder if one of them might not fall into the hands of one of Martha's relatives and they really find out what the doctor is about. That's got to be very strange for them to find their daughter claiming to be in 1969. I well, hope they, that they knew something with that. It, it, it's, I don't, it would just even make it, it would be startled up even more than answer any other questions because they will only get like a half of the conversation. Right, but you know, where she pops on screen and she says, you know, the doctor's got me here in 1969 and I'm the one that's earning the money. <laughs> that somehow oh, comes back. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still here, am I? Yes, you are. I, oh, <laughs> I'm just sitting here listening, and I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> I well, I just wanted to, you know, go on a point of yours. I didn't want to... Yeah. Right um, I could see that coming up. I mean, you, you wonder, it's like, well, did Martha's mom see the DVDs? Well, yeah, it's or, an Easter egg. They, not, they will have to be very clever to find it. Yeah, but there's 17 of them out there, and you know there's the chance, and surely and Reggie's I'm sure, clever. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure that uh, Mr. Saxon has a large DVD collection. Yeah, I'm surprised there was no reference to Mr. Saxon in this episode. Yeah. I was expecting one. Yeah, there, there's nothing. But it was at all a modern right. day episode, so I just assumed um, we would get one somewhere somewhere along the line. Right. Unless there was one I didn't catch it, I don't know. Exactly. I gotta, I gotta rewatch it. You know. Well, one of the things I like about Stephen Moffat is apparently he doesn't get the memo for what to <laughs> stick in the episode because he did the same thing with Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, he didn't realize Mickey and and Rose weren't supposed to be really on good friendly terms. <laughs> yeah, well, that wasn't his fault either because there was no. sort of he, he explained in one of the I think confidentials that or the or the commentaries that if he had known he would have written that into it. I'm kind of glad it wasn't. Uh, you know, it, yeah. it it didn't really matter that it wasn't there. You know. Thank you once again, Ian. We're going to go to our next caller. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I'll talk to you. Oops. Sorry. Okay. Next up is Trevor W. Seventy one. Hello, Trevor. Hello. Uh, Thanks for uh, letting me join in for a little bit. Uh, I've been listening to you guys' podcast ever since uh, the show got revived in 2005, and uh, so it was really cool when you guys started doing these uh, live shows, too. I thought I'd try to participate since you're doing a little later tonight. Great. I'm glad we were able to um, accommodate you. And where are you calling from? It's uh, from Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay, very cool. And did you Uh, blink? Oh, well, yeah. You know, it is kind of interesting. Um, I'm a social psychology student. I'm a, well, political science is my main field, but uh, whenever you sort of, when you reach that point in the episode where uh, who's it, her uh, friend's brother runs the video <laughs> shop, it's like staring, trying to keep, you know, staring at the angel. They finally figured out, you know, what's going on, and they have to stare, and they can't blink. You find yourself trying not to blink, and of course, consciously 
you know, that's yeah. what you're trying to do. And unconsciously, you find yourself blinking uncontrollably. So <laughs> I always it's, that it's sort of like, like don't, don't anyone think of an elephant, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's all you can think of. Right, exactly. Well, you know, well, it's sort of like, uh, too, like sometimes if you watch films where they have to swim underwater, and you have this, you've been told, I don't know if I can make it. It's too far. Can you hold your breath long enough? And you, you sometimes find yourself trying to yeah. see if you can hold your breath as long, too. But, or don't look like, down. Don't look down, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But, uh, but no, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a really good episode. Um, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I know I, I, I have to listen to the commentary sometime. I download them off of uh, iTunes as well. Uh, so I'm anxious to see if Moffat will sort of mention, for example, did anyone else get the Back to the Future nod uh, when she gets the letter? I mean, uh, was anyone reminded suddenly of the end of Back to the Future 2? <laughs> I was given the instructions to give this to you at this very time, you know, so on and so forth, and you're just like going, uh-huh. Mm. And, of course, it, it happens right as the, you know, the person who has now been transported in time has just left or is about to leave. Uh, but I wonder if Moffat will kind of admit, oh, yeah, I kind of took that from Back to the Future 2 and threw a different twist into it or so on and so forth. Well, it's, you know, in, in science fiction, that we're constantly making nods or, you know, borrowing little things here and there and um, paying respects, so, oh, yeah. so to speak. I was just watching, actually, yesterday, the uh, uh, season one, or series one, uh, and uh, Empty Child, and listen to the commentary with him and Barrowman, and, and uh, he makes some comments to what he, you know, little nods he was giving to other films and other science fiction yeah. stories, things like that. So, And that, uh, we got to hear um, Spock. You know, we got to hear the character's name of Spock in that episode. Right. And I, I love that part where he even says, you know, like, you know, I wanted to get a real good joke in there when he was going to, the actual joke, which was going to be, well, I'd, He's like, what would you rather be called, Doctor Who? And he's like, well, I'd rather have Doctor Who than, Doc- than Star Trek, uh, which so that joke got edited out, unfortunately, which would have been a good jab. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, um, as far as the Doctor Light episode, I guess, you know, I think it worked very well. And uh, the, uh, the monsters, I think it is kind of scary, kind of reminded me a little bit of the Daemons, uh, you know, with, mm. the, uh, with the statue. Yeah, but much better, much better and more convincing pulled off uh, than the rubber suit from back then in the first week. Mm-hmm. But um, well, like I said, and, I didn't even know there were humans in them. I thought they were just molds. You know that they made these statues in different poses and they just shot them that way. And then it wasn't until I saw the confidential that I realized there were actually people in there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, I now that you mentioned that I haven't even had a chance to watch the confidentials. So I didn't know that either, but I assume they must have. You know in order to get that done quickly and to have the different poses and everything like that, there had to have been something more along those lines than mm-hmm. I thought, you know, than, than to actually, you know, make even like a styrofoam or whatever kind of cuts of those. It takes too long. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I haven't had a chance to watch it again, but when I, the first time watching it, I didn't see any movement. When they were standing still, they were motionless. And right. that was impressive in hindsight. Because usually you get some breathing or something. You get some movement. You can only stand still for, you know, be precisely still for so long. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so it's, it's pretty impressive. I'll, I'll definitely look forward to giving it a second viewing and uh, get the, doc, uh, the confidential downloaded, too, and take a look at that. I was going to even just say, too, though, in defense, I know you were actually uh, uh, defending, or defending at least people who liked Love and Monsters. I personally really loved Love and Monsters. I thought it was a... Uh, 
you know, a great episode uh, in the sense of it was, it was definitely an homage to fans of Doctor Who, I think, was what it was in many ways. And mm-hmm. well, um, I, that aspect of the of the of it, I I enjoyed. In fact, I I, I wish they weren't even farther with that, but I did like that aspect of that of that story. Yeah, I, and you know, again, it's kind of and it's come up a couple of times over the course of the reviews and the this series that some people kind of worry about how the science isn't very good or this, that, and the other. I know that was James's real problem with 42. And, but, again, you know... If, we if it kinda... takes you out of the story, then it's it's not good. If it's if it's, if the story can carry along and, and, and it's not, you know, you can make certain allowances and artistic license with science, but, you know, to a certain point. But, like, exactly. like, like this episode, Blink, scientifically, you probably can, you know, tear it apart, but... I, I think the story, you know, carries you along and you don't need to. Right. And, it, yeah, it does try to give a quick sort of technobabble explanation. They're quantum locked and they're so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, kind of nifty. But at the same time, no, I thought it was great. And, yeah, it doesn't take you out too long. And that maybe is the point. You know, sometimes a line of exposition helps if it's done quickly and in the right spot. And, and maybe that's what, you know, some, some of the Plus problems. with an understanding of what the real principle is that you're trying to extend or to to make up, so to speak, as opposed to just taking stuff that you expect to work a certain way and just ignoring it. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. Um, I mean, and so I, I guess, it, again, it just depends on, yeah, you know, like you said, how much can it take you out of the story versus how much can you again suspend your disbelief, as you, as they say in you know fiction writing or drama writing things like that. So you know, but I've just, I just I kind of have have been very happy with this last batch of episodes simply because uh, it does seem like the first part of the season just didn't have something like kind of like it was all good but the heart was missing, mm-hmm. and and that was kind of my feeling from it that uh, you know. It was all technically very good, which uh, someone has mentioned. Kind of surprising, we would say technically Doctor Who looks flawless. Uh, <laughs> that's not, you know fans of the original show like us. Yeah. No shaking, sh- no shaking sets and walls or <laughs> right, but uh, but yeah, bubble wrap. Uh, right, right. You know, bad monsters and you know, uh, or very badly realized monsters. But but no, I mean the. These last few episodes, they definitely seem to have gotten something back. I even, I even think 42 is actually a step up. Uh, but uh, so I'm looking forward to the conclusions. But I would definitely give this a, a four out of five. I think it's great. Uh, you know, it made a great use of Tenant uh, and in the limited amount of time they had, and still built a really great story. And yeah, I, if we could see more adventures of Sally Sparrow, I think we'd mind that. But then again, that might push that whole, you know, running the well dry for spinoffs. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Trevor, and I'm glad you were able to join us today, and um, hopefully you'll catch us next time as well. I definitely look forward to it. I uh, I would like to, at some point at the end of the season, uh, when you guys do your end-of-series review, I definitely want to take Ken on this whole formulaic thing. I definitely think there's some periods of time that Doctor Who was very formulaic. Uh, mm-hmm. The Davidson era, for example, uh, yeah. very formulaic, but... That's an argument for another time. So. <laughs> well, after episode 13, we'll do our um, recap and where we can all reevaluate, you know, what we had said previously and think of, um, see all the stories as they tie together in the series as a whole and 
Um, it's, it's and we you know it's only a, a month away. So. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks again, Trevor. We're going to go to our next caller. And our next caller is um, Shiro Kuro. If I'm if, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your screen name. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, this is uh, well. Uh, this is Craig. Um, uh, uh, originally from Bernie, Scotland, but uh, currently and uh, calling from near Chicago, Illinois. Um, okay. Uh, I think, uh, well, first of all, I think this episode was uh, my favorite of the season by far. Um, well, maybe not by far, um, because the last two-parter was pretty amazing. Um, uh, but it, it's definitely right up there, maybe, you know, maybe edging it out as my favorite episode since the 2005 uh Revival, so unqualified five out of five from me. Um, kind of a little bit different from the the Stephen Moffat episodes for me. Um, although the other Stephen Moffat episodes, I don't know for some reason I've tended to the first time I watched them, I didn't particularly like them or didn't think they were that great. But then when I went back and watched them again, um, you know, I I they really really grew in me, and I thought they were they thought they were fantastic. Whereas this one just uh, from start to finish just completely grabbed me, um, you know, you know, for the whole forty-five whatever minutes it was. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think others had said the same thing that you just don't realize how quickly the time goes, and people thought it was a very short episode when it was its standard running time, you know, um, average running time, and uh, it's just that it carries you through, and and um, you just don't realize the time is passing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I was also, I think it was, uh, who was it, West that brought it up earlier, but I was thinking the same thing, that, you know, this would probably be a great episode to show to somebody who, you know, wasn't too familiar with Doctor Who or maybe hadn't seen the, you know, the, the new series or whatever yet. So, you know, I was I was thinking that quite a lot while I was watching the thing. So. Mm-hmm. I guess the only drawback to that is that then people may assume that the series really does dwell a lot in time travel within the story when very few episodes of Talk to Who really take advantage of time traveling as a story device. And, um, you know, with the exception of just, you know, as the format goes, you can go anywhere at any time. So it leads to stories taking place in history or the future or anywhere you want to go. And, but right, having, right. there's very few stories that actually play with time within the story itself. Yeah, but this I, is a very, a very unusual episode of Doctor Who for that, because most yeah. other stories which are based on like a time, like some kind of time travel, they tend to dwell on the time travel as like one of the major plot points all the time. Whereas mm-hmm. Doctor Who, like you just said, it doesn't do that. I mean, the TARDIS is a vehicle for you know sticking them in some place and some time. I mean, the fact that it's a different time doesn't even you know doesn't even really matter. A lot yeah. for a lot of the episodes. Um, this was, uh, the, you know, this was very unusual in that you know time was the kind of the integral part of the story. Um, and I thought, um, you know, I, I thought Stephen Moffat, you know, wrote it very well and very clever. And it was really good watching it, you know. And you see one bit, and you don't like the first time you see the the, the videos of the Doctor in the the living room or whatever it is. And then, and then you know, she's away and it's the next scene and you're thinking, wait a minute, they didn't explain that. What was that all about? And then you just think, well, no, I'll just hang on. You know, I'm sure some kind of explanation is coming. And, you know, for all the, all the bits, of, bits of it like that, you know, sure enough, 
the explanation came down the line, it made sense, it all seemed to, you know, fit together. It was almost like a, um, uh, what's that guy, the uh, Shyamalan, the director who does like, you know, Sixth Sense and stuff like that. It was almost like one of those, you know, the way the story all comes together in the end and everything slips yeah. into place. So kind of a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So what Tardis groans would you give the story? Uh, I'd give it six if I could, uh, but uh, <laughs> five, five for sure. Okay, and the so. one other point was, uh, I think uh, I think somebody else mentioned it on the forums, but uh, did anybody think the the grandson looked a lot like Turlo? You know, when he when he when she opened the door and he's standing there and he's got the you know the I think he's the yeah, yeah it was reminiscent to Turlo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really reminds me of that. So that was kind of cool. Maybe they were classmates. He did That's have that true. classmate that he was um, his opening story, but didn't look anything like him. I think it was a darkhead chap. Right. Right. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we, we got um, Dave in the queue. We're going to go to him next. And but thanks again. And um, hopefully you can chime in again in our next show. Oh yeah, I'll definitely try. And I was on the one uh, a, a while ago, the Shakespeare Code. Uh, I chimed in on that one, but okay. I'm I thought I recognized your screen name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, unfortunately, I've uh, I haven't always been able to uh, watch it in time for you know in time for the the show, which is what uh, what, what usually what twelve I think twelve uh, one twelve o'clock. p.m. Uh, well, yeah, twelve p.m. Twelve, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this morning when I went to watch it, I realized that on my red eye flight, I'd accidentally acquired two copies of the Confidential rather than the Confidential plus the episode. So. Had to uh, had to fly back to the UK again to get the episode. But, um, yeah, we we're constantly making those flights to the UK. The airlines just love us. I know, I know. My British Airways frequent flyers are through the roof. So <laughs> yeah, really. I, might come in handy someday. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Cheers. You too. Bye. Bye. Okay. And next up is Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hi, everyone. It's good to have you on board. I, I, I know it's like um well past midnight now for you. It's probably like probably close to like one thirty in the morning. Yeah. yeah. But that's great. I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. Lots of uh, great contributions already. And uh, if Craig's here next week I'm gonna have to make sure I get in the queue before him because he, he said pretty much uh a lot of the things that I thought, but uh all power to him. Um great input. Um mm-hmm. I think Stephen Moffat's uh, stories, they do contain a lot of detail. Well, you might say that's because this is a reworking of a, a story he's already done, so he's had plenty of time to sort of uh, mull over it and, and, and get all the details right. But uh, as Craig had just pointed out, certain things you think, well, you know, they're taking liberties here, uh, but they were explained away, and through the very intelligent uh, playing of the style character by that. Uh, Corey, is it Corey Mulligan? Um, it, it came across really well. Uh, in fact, I think whoever, and I'm sure Merlin or someone might be able to ch- type this up, whoever does the casting should get a pat on the back or a pay rise or something, because if you think of the ladies we've had in the uh, the, the, the recent days, uh, uh, I mean, uh, one or two people have said the, the Shakespeare Code wasn't one of their favourites, but the girl who played the lead witch in that, excellent actress. Um, the girl who played the nurse at the public school, 
in the two parts we've just had. Another excellent performance. And this young girl, I believe it's only just 22, she's been, of course, in the Pride and Prejudice film. She's been in North Anger Abbey, which is on TV, um, and even in the Bleak House production, which was a major, major BBC uh, production. Um, so I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it also, I thought, went very fast, but not in the same way as the 42 episode. That film romped along. I mean, that was just one headlong uh, run from start to finish. Where this one was fast-paced, but in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. It was over very, very quickly, uh, and it was all excellently done. Uh, details were covered. I mean, uh, when the policeman was thrown into the past, the doctor took the time to explain that it must have been the same angel that touched him, that touched them, and that was why he and the, doc- and the doctor's time zone of 1969, uh, that's right. Rather than yeah. the girl who went to the 1920s. Um, one thing that I didn't stop, but I've seen in forums, was the a little touch on the old house. But the windows in the old house were painted white and blue and almost looked a little bit like the TARDIS windows. Um, lots of things to talk about, but um, overall, you don't really want to analyse it too much because it was a cracking story, well acted, um, well put together, magnificent uh, the way they did the angels, and the humorous, I thought they were uh, going to be in a polystyrene uh, statue spade silver or something. How they did that, I don't know, but it was most effective. And I bet there were a few kids jumping around the couch when that first uh, scary one moved. When, when the boy was shaking his eye open, he moved his head away for just a fraction of a second. And then there was that playing monster right within inches of him. Excellent stuff. And of course, uh, just to turn it up a little bit more, uh, right at the end, just, I mean, the kids can't look in mirrors nowadays. They can't, <laughs> they, they can't go to public schools. I don't know where they can go. And certainly parents, they can't take them out into public parks. Um, all excellent, excellent stuff. So, um, <laughs> uh, one other thing as well, when, when we have that little break, and, uh, and I believe it's Ken, probably more than, than you myself, Liz, but, but we had that one-week break, which, as I said then, we're not used to in the UK. We usually start a series and we go mm-hmm. all the way through. But it is absolutely not the midway point. On the forums, um, and this is the Gallifrey forum, not the Outpost Gallifrey, which, of course, a lot of our listeners are from, um, the, uh, it, somebody said that this is probably the best series ever. My reply to that was, well, the second half, Looks as though it might well be. The, the first one hit the ground running with Smith and Jones, but then it seemed to sort of hit the buffers a little bit. It stayed at that very good, but not outstanding. There's nothing, as Ken had said, nothing pushing the envelope forward. Uh, and we were getting a little bit formulaic, and then 42 happened, and we've been on a full belt of ride since then. And of course, we saw the trailer, I think, most of us at the end. We've got three episodes to come. We've got Captain Jack. We've got um, possibly the Master. We've got John Sims. We've got everything. It's a fabulous time to be a Doctor Who fan. And uh, let's get somebody else on board because uh, I can talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, David, okay. do you know, I do want to. 
comment about what you said about the um, casting of the epi- of, of Doctor Who, and I, I thought this story they did a good job of casting as well because the uh, the young actor and older actors they got to sh- to represent the characters in their older state really, I mean, unless they're doing a Mark Gaddis thing with, with makeup, I, I thought they really looked similar to what they'd look like, you know, as as a you know their younger selves and. Um, hats off, you know, to finding actors that that resembled, you know, each other that they could pull that off. Yeah, yeah it was excellent, excellent. And of course, the other thing is, although it was a Doctor Light episode, as um, as been said before, it was sprinkled uh, nicely through the story. So you never were thinking, "Am I watching Doctor Who?" It was always a Doctor Who, and it was good Doctor Who. In fact. Um, it, it probably was one of the best stories to actually introduce a, a new viewer to. And um, I can't praise it enough. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, have our ratings out of six from now on, Liz. Um, I can't think of going back to five. Well, um, Dave, I, I also thought of you again in this story. It left plenty of room for um, third-party stories, if you will, or stories, untelevised stories to uh, come in. Right. Because... He, you see them at the end with the bow and with the arrows and the quiver of arrows and all that. You have like no idea how much time has, you know, are in between all this. And it leaves a lot of openings for um, expanded storytelling, if you will. And of course, I mean, they could as well. And they, when they were stuck in 1969 uh, and Martha's working in the shop, they could get involved with some mystery with that. So yeah, that's right. Lots, lots of things, lots of things. So great, Liz. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dave. And just to remind everyone, you're calling from Manchester in the UK, and we always enjoy having you part of the show. Thank you, and I hope it sounds a little bit uh, more human today. Um, <laughs> a little uh, uh, cyber man-ish, uh, I would say, but we still enjoy having you. Thank you very much. All right, Michael. thanks again. And, and thanks for staying up so late for this particular uh, live show. You know, we're, we're, you know, doing the live recording much later than our usual time today. So well, I'm trying to say for a little of the uh, CIA then as well. I don't really know broadcast. Um, cheers, Dave. Thank you. Ken, are you still with us? I am, sir. So how, let's. Um, we're going to give our TARDIS groans and wrap the show up so well how... you know it's funny because i've been thinking about this over the course of the entire show whether i was going to give it four and a half or five and and really my only you know i i kind of gave my nitpick about the story and i think the fact that it's a dr light story was my reason for deducting half a tardis growing but i don't think that's fair because i think you know, i was thinking that maybe i should just judge it on did i enjoy it and did, did it did it work for me and it did so i'm gonna I'm going to give it five, and and this way we've we've got a hat trick going on the last three stories. So um, hopefully that bodes well for the for the next three. Ken, I, I have to say that that you and I are, are in particular in sync um, with this uh, tonight's recording because just like you know <laughs> when you when when you took swag out of my mouth, <laughs> I I've been think I, the same thing's been going through my mind as well while we're recording this episode where. I originally was thinking, yeah, okay, 4.5, and, and I'm thinking, well, what didn't I like? Why, why isn't this not a 5, and what can I say that 
say, and, and to me it was, oh, well, because the doctor's hardly in it, but he, I mean, his presence is in it. And um, so I, I'm, I'm with you with this as well. And um, well, I think it's the first time that, that you and I have ever been accused of being in sync. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's a whole, that's a story for another day, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, someone's there. Pizza delivery. <laughs> Avon's calling. <laughs> Land shark. All right. Well, um, we're going to go up the list, and Mike is um, next um, on the list. What's your overall TARDIS groans on this? Yeah, it's going to be another five out of five from me this week as well. Um, it just uh, was an episode that showed how good writing, good directing, good design, and it has been mentioned great casting, especially because the, you got somebody other than the regulars that has to carry the whole, the whole episode. How you put all those things together, don't have to spend a ton of money necessarily, still produce a good episode on a budget, and, and end up with a fantastic product. I had that, I had that same little, uh, I wouldn't call it a nitpick, the same thing occurred to me as occurred to Ken uh, when we see old Billy about why he didn't uh, take, maybe take some of his knowledge and uh, uh, become a little richer so he didn't have to die in a, in a large hospital ward uh, but could have had a private room to himself. But uh, maybe that's just uh, my own greed and uh, Billy's a better man than me. Uh, but yeah, absolutely fantastic episode. Uh, can't wait to see uh, you know, what, uh, what Moffat does next year. He's uh, uh, Paul Cornell, Stephen Moffat. These guys are two guys who are scoring 100 percent for me every every time they they turn out a script. So five out of five. Okay, good. Um, Taras, um, and, and in fact, Taras, if you and and if Darth could follow your lead, because um, I'm going to have to step around here for a minute. If you can uh, give us your TARDIS groans, and then um, Darth, if you could step in after Taras. Okay. All right. I thought this was an excellent episode, especially given the limitations that Moffat had to work with, is this being the uh, Dr. Light episode. And I thought that we didn't have that great of a story with the lack of the Doctor in it since the, the massacre, in my opinion, where William Hartnell was off for two weeks out of the, the four weeks they filmed, and the story didn't lose a beat despite his absence. Now, uh, one thing that I like about this series so far is that we don't have this lull right before the end where last year, whether you liked Love and Monsters or not, or Fear Her, it was a dip in that series right before the end. Here, we're just going full tilt towards the uh, finale. So it, it's gotten me really excited to see what the next three episodes are going to be like. Darth? Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a fabulous, fabulous episode. I think one thing that's interesting to me about the episode in particular is uh, the way in which women have come to the forefront of it. Not only do you have, at least initially in it, two women who are driving the story, but you also have, uh, of course, the first female director of the new series. And um, I'm not, I've been racking my brain trying to think, is there another example of having a non-companion female character who's not a villain, who's played such a major role in a Doctor Who story before? And I, I, maybe my brain is a little faulty right now, but I can't quite think of an example like this. And I really enjoy it for that. 
especially in the way that the men except for the doctor and maybe, um, well, Billy, are, are portrayed as being relatively useless. I, I, I quite enjoy the role reversal of that. Um, and, and the fact that, of course, Stephen Moffat has applied his usual brilliance at uh, tiny little character beats that just add up to make the whole thing wonderful. Um, if I had to give it a rating, it would at least be a five, probably a six. Uh, I certainly enjoyed this without reservations that I had for Cornell's episode, and that's pretty much how I was in series one as well. Um, I, I I want more like this, and I want more like this from other people than Moffat. I think that when you put the characterization first and then worry about how those characters can interact in a uh, plot, I think you're on much more solid ground than starting with the plot and then trying to embellish it with characters. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. Okay, well... Um I guess we have no Simon Cowell, if you will, for this episode. Everyone enjoyed it. And um, hats off to Stephen Moffat once again. So um, no Nathan. Yeah, this, this story really reminded me of some of his uh, non-linear stories that he did in coupling. And uh, it just shows that he can handle that type of storytelling and make it interesting for the viewer. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but it disproves the, the theory that has been going throughout most of Doctor Who's history that you can't talk about time when you talk about the Doctor. Uh, of course you can. You just have to think about it a little bit. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's me, and uh, as I indicated before, I, I initially was approaching this with a, a 4.5 Tardis groans, and uh, as I, you know, spoke, as I relayed to everyone before when I was speaking to Ken, um, I too I'm just, I mean, there's really no reason why not to give it a five, so I'm going to give it five Tardis Grons. And By the way, I'm sorry, by the way, I think we should get a shout out to the Confidential this week. Probably the best Confidential ever put together, I think. If If you haven't seen the Confidential, you must see this Confidential. Yeah, it was a, a a great nod to the history of Doctor Who, and um, it's it's um, well, I mean, David Tennant is basically hosting it, if you will, and um, it's it's a it's a good insight not to just this episode, but of the series as a whole. All righty, well, we're going to be back next week with another live recording of Doctor Who Podshock. We'll be back at our usual time at 1 p.m. on Sunday as we review Utopia. So we hope everyone will join us back for that. And just another reminder that Wes's podcast, the CIA podcast, is following this one uh, to join in on that one. And if anyone else has any other last words or plugs they'd like to give, this has been a pluggy episode. (laughs) Pluggy. (laughs) All right. So, um... Oh, and for Ron, who had sent us that other opening, I'm, we're going to use that to close the show. It's it's, uh, it's a bit long, and I hadn't had time to any to kind of you know tighten it a little bit. So, um, if you can, um, if, if hopefully um you know he won't have a problem with that. And um, but we do um, thank you so much, Ron, for sending that in, and um, we'll go to that after this. So, cheers, everyone. Oh, All right, just we'll see one you. Thing. 
just oh. one thing that I wanted to mention before we close is that I just dislike the uh, squash credits that the BBC is Yeah, using. what's the story with that? Oh, my. Well, they, they're standardizing on that. There was something on the BBC website a couple of weeks ago about this. So it's like, expect and, this from all the programs on the BBC. It's horrible. I don't want to see Graham Norton during the end credits. I want to read <laughs> that in the credits. And, and this whole, like, Americanizing of squeezing the credits down to a little miniature, you know, box that you can't read at all discredits the the people that put all their time and effort into creating the episode and um and and those that are paying BBC license fees you know they should be able to see you know and, and um see the credits in full well the I thing mean, is the BBC's research shows that people turn off on the credits so most of the license payers aren't looking at them mm, i think that everyone should dave <laughs> Start a uh, a campaign to get rid of um, um, you know um, this upper third you know. Well, people will only tune out when the end credit when the um, the the closing music isn't catchy. <laughs> so so in Doctor Who's case, people will stick around. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the voiceover, you know, catch you know the the underpinnings of Doctor Who and Doctor Who Confidential on BBC, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I'm making this up as I go along. Okay. <laughs> anybody, oh, by the way, on an on uh, unrelated note, uh, anybody in the New Haven, Connecticut area tomorrow or Tuesday, there is an open casting for extras for the new Indiana Jones movie. This is true. Um, and, if I can uh, use a Yeti, I'll apply. Yeah, and and uh, if you want to look for uh, links to that in our uh, web resources area, there are two. There's an Indiana Jones uh, uh link. Will bring you to uh, further information about that. Actually, if we're, if we're doing some plugs, I got one more plug. <laughs> Actually, it's okay, my first plug, plug. Away, plug away. And that is uh, just in case anybody from Canada is listening. Uh, June 18th, CBC will be showing Smith and Jones and the Runaway Bride. Smith and Jones at 8 p.m. and then Runaway Bride after that at midnight. It's a long story, don't ask, but <laughs> in case anybody doesn't know, because there hasn't been a lot of promotion so far, Series 3, mm-hmm. new, new episodes in Canada in uh, just over a week. And it's cool. a Monday, the 18th. Is it um, yeah, June 18th. hockey? All right, well, we- All right, so I'll give a plug as well. On Wednesday, we're having our DWNY pub beat. In, uh, DWNY. So check what, out... DWNY.org for details. Is it this Wednesday or the following Wednesday? It's uh, this Wednesday. I could have made it if it was the following Wednesday. One of these days, I'm going to get there. All All right, right, let's wrap it up, Lewis. Yes, it's a wrap. Take care, everyone. Everyone, thanks so much for participating. Lewis and myself, uh, we'll even speak for James, really appreciate that everyone takes their time out, especially when we change the schedule and and it's in the middle of the night for some people. Uh, It really, we always say thanks from time to time, take a minute out and and thank everybody for participating because... I uh, I have to say, I was afraid we weren't going to get many people because it's a different time and screw everyone up and it was just going to be like me and three other people perhaps. (laughs) It it turned out to be, I guess, one of our most popular um, live shows here. Perhaps we should consider it for future use. Yeah, but but James is gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, that guy. Okay. We well, don't, we don't even have Colin. Colin. <laughs> uh, weren't we going to replace him with uh, Colin anyway? 
I oh. remember we lost Colin somewhere. Are we <laughs> Colin, if you're listening, we miss you. All right, and our everybody. Friends will... down under, Chris and and Triple B, come on. <laughs> okay, I, it's it's Monday like afternoon for you now, so <laughs> it's understandable. All right, we're gonna go into this other alternative um, blink opening, and it's um and till next week. Take care, everyone. Take it easy, everybody. Goodbye, all. <laughs> Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. You've just heard an interactive, interactive interactive, podcast designed for audience participation. Come talk, talk, talk. text chat, or listen live at TalkShoe.com.